Father, we're just so grateful for the cross. So grateful that you gave us life. Life everlasting. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin, that you would offer us forgiveness, grace, mercy. Thank you too for your word. As we look into your word now, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and how you speak to us through your word. And Father, we pray that as we open ourselves to your word this morning and to your Holy Spirit, that you would indeed speak into our hearts, into our minds, our lives, that the result may be that today we become a little bit more like Jesus. And so we thank you as we uh, commit the rest of this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph's brothers hated him. They hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. Instead, they sold him to a slave trader who's on his way through to Egypt. Joseph, hated by his brothers, had every reason to hate them in return. As Alan Frankham reminded us a few weeks ago of Jesus' teaching concerning hatred, he told his followers that the best way to handle hatred is by loving your enemies. To love your enemies, to do good to them, to bless them and to pray for them. And of course, that's the polar opposite end of the scale, isn't it? Polar opposite to the way that we would often handle hatred. And we can't begin to do these things until we have forgiven. Until we've forgiven those who have hurt us, forgiven those who hate us. But if we're to be like Jesus, then we must forgive. If you and I are to be like Jesus, we must forgive. It's only then that we can love and bless. Thus we come to this account of Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers. But before we look at that, who is it that you are struggling to forgive? Who has hurt you? Who is it that you don't want to be around, who you tend to avoid? If you have the, the chance, you will avoid them. Somebody who doesn't respect you, somebody who perhaps has lied about you, somebody has let you down, somebody that you no longer feel you can trust, Somebody has treated you poorly, has used you, maybe even abused you. Was it someone in business, at school, a family member? Every one of us in this room has been hurt. Have we forgiven them? Maybe it's someone who's no longer in your life. Somebody who may not even be alive. Have you forgiven them? 
Joseph is undoubtedly one of the greatest characters, greatest people in the Bible. Yet he didn't do any of the great things, if you like. The, he didn't slay a giant. He didn't raise the dead. He didn't perform miracles. He didn't defeat false prophets. He didn't even write one word of scripture. He's just plain, ordinary man, in one sense, who grew up in a dysfunctional family. So what was it that made him so great? Well, he teaches us that forgiveness is not only possible, but it is, in fact, the best way. It is God's way. He shows us that when, when God is the most important one in your life, that when you're truly trusting God and your circumstances matter little, and that being like Jesus means forgiving those who hurt you. We want to be more like Jesus, but do we want to forgive? You see, forgiveness provides us with peace, but it also provides an opportunity to reveal God's heart to others. It can be like pouring hot coals on the head, as we'll see with Joseph's brothers. Where somewhat racing through the the book of Genesis, racing through the story, because it was my intention at the beginning of the year to, to have some sort of an overview of the Old Testament. So we're getting toward the end of the book of Genesis. But in our reading today, Joseph is, is now incognito as the prime minister in Egypt. His brothers have come to purchase grain to take back home to keep the family and their stock alive. They've returned a second time and on this occasion Joseph, in a sense, sets them up such that his younger brother, his blood brother, Benjamin, was accused of stealing Joseph's silver cup. And as you read Genesis 44, we see now Judah, an older brother, pleading on behalf of his younger brother, Benjamin, ready to take his place as a slave if need be. You see, these are clearly not the same brothers who sold Joseph into slavery some 20 years before. They had seen how their actions had caused such pain, such hurt for their father. They didn't want to see that happen again and they'd carried the guilt all those years the secrecy. But now, like the Grinch in Dr. Zeus' classic, their hearts had grown three sizes. They were now mature enough to see God's hand in their lives and selfless enough to be willing, at least Judah was willing to, to sacrifice his own life to save that of his younger brother, Benjamin. He would become a slave if need be. Joseph now saw that they were remorseful for their previous actions. And it all becomes too much for Joseph. It's getting to him. He he could no longer hide behind the mask and so he orders everyone out of the room but his brothers. And at this point the brothers are anxiously awaiting a verdict from the Lord of the land, the all-powerful Prime Minister. Without knowing what he intends to do, they saw that he's visibly upset 
and they witness him send everyone out of the room and his brothers are filled with fear as they await his decision. And then this powerful man who stands before them makes a statement that drives a wedge of terror into their hearts. For the first time in their presence, Joseph speaks in their native tongue in Hebrew, fluent Hebrew, and he says to them, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And their response is silence. We're told in verse 3 that his brothers could not answer him for they were terrified. Terrified. They were not only stunned, they were overwhelmed with fear such that they couldn't speak. They're literally terrified. How would Dad respond to this news? And what would Joseph now do in revenge? They have nothing more to say. No more appeals are left. There's no hope for mercy. May I say this is just how it will be for the unrepentant when they stand before God on judgment day. Nothing more to say, no more appeals are left terrified before the almighty God. And Joseph could see the unbelief, he could see the sheer terror in their eyes and although he's speaking perfect Hebrew, which probably frightened them even more, he looked like an Egyptian. He no longer looked like Joseph, the younger brother, He knew that he'd have to help them to accept the idea that, yes, this is really Joseph. And so he summons them to come close to him and then he begins to reassure them that all that had happened was a part of God's sovereign purpose. And he said, I am Joseph. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God says, Joseph says in this verse, you might have sold me, but the way I see it, God sent me. Seeing God at work in his life had prevented him from becoming bitter. Can you see the way that God is working and has worked in your life? Keep focusing on that, the way that God has worked in your life to prevent you from becoming bitter. Seeing God at work in his life prevented Joseph from becoming bitter. Although he had never heard Paul's words, I'm sure he knew them well. All things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And notice that this verse doesn't say, 
that all things are good, but that God is causing all things to work for good. He is working within the circumstances of your life, not causing them, but using them and using them for good. Now, Joseph could have let his brother's actions dictate his thinking, just constantly dwell on it, think about what they had done and allow that hatred to rise up within him and bitterness and resentment would have been the result. Instead, he sought to serve his God and to leave both he and his family in God's hands, to trust God with himself and with his family. I don't think I need to remind you that those who refuse to forgive, who refuse to forgive others, keep themselves imprisoned by that. If you've chosen not to forgive, then you're only imprisoning yourself. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the story of a servant who was pardoned of a, a huge debt, an astronomical debt by the king. And when he goes and then sees a fellow servant who owed him just a few dollars, he has him thrown into prison because he couldn't pay. When the king, in the story in this parable, when the king heard of how the pardoned servant had no pity on his fellow servant, he was then imprisoned by the king until he could pay back what he owed. Unforgiveness keeps us captive in a prison of our own making in bitterness, in resentment, in a, in a desire for revenge. And this parable, this story from Jesus also has something to say about the way that you forgive others is the way that God will forgive you. And so Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he helps them to see how God's hand has been overruling all of the events of the past. God has been working within this. He then tells his brothers to go back home to bring their father Jacob and all of their families to return to live in Egypt because there's going to be five more years of famine ahead of them. And what occurs next must surely be one of the most tender scenes in all of the Bible. And Roz Helped to bring that out this morning. Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, his little brother, his younger blood brother, and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. You can just picture the scene. The two brothers embracing. He then kissed all of his other brothers and he wept over them. And after that, his brothers were able to talk, to talk with him. These, his brothers, who were evil toward him, prepared to kill him, but instead sold him as a slave, were now being embraced and kissed by the victim. This is what makes Joseph so great. They're now reconciled. 
This scene, I believe, is only surpassed by our Lord Jesus who washed the betrayer's feet. And then in the garden exchanged a kiss. Jesus knew what Judas was about to do. Joseph, both both Joseph and Jesus show us that forgiveness is not only possible, but it is necessary. It's a must. It's a big part of God's plan. They reveal to us the nature of our loving God. When Jesus gave us the parable of the prodigal son, he reveals a father who completely forgives his son and accepts him as as though he had never sinned at all. And Jesus is revealing the truth about his loving heavenly father that he will completely forgive repentant sinners. If you have repented of your sin, you are completely forgiven. Jesus also said in Matthew 6, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sin, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Forgiveness is not easy, but it's possible. And it's absolutely necessary. It's a must if we are to be like Jesus. Forgiveness may not be easy, it may be hard, but sometimes I think we make it harder for ourselves by making false assumptions about it. And I want to correct just a few of those this morning. Forgiveness does not mean overlooking the wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you overlook the wrong. Joseph doesn't pretend that nothing had ever happened. He doesn't overlook the sin of his brothers. Joseph clearly said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph doesn't minimise the wrong that had been done. Forgiveness is not excusing the wrong. Finding excuses for the wrong that has been done. The brothers were still responsible for their actions regardless of their upbringing or anything else. No excuses were valid. Forgiveness is not minimising the wrong. Nowhere does Joseph say, oh boys, don't worry about it, it's all cool, it's all worked out fine. He doesn't minimise the wrong, he doesn't say there's no big deal. Forgiveness is not taking the blame for the wrong. Joseph doesn't say, yeah, sorry boys, I know that it was really my fault. I shouldn't have ever worn that fancy robe and I shouldn't have told you about those dreams. He doesn't take the blame for the wrong. No matter what Joseph says or or did, it didn't excuse what the brothers did. And lastly, forgiveness doesn't need to be offered to be realised. Many people think that we must express our forgiveness to the other for that to be then, for it to be real. 
Joseph had forgiven his brothers and was at peace with his brothers years before they came to Egypt. It hadn't been expressed to them, but he'd forgiven them. And as I mentioned earlier, forgiveness provides us with peace, us with peace, but it also provides an opportunity to reveal God's heart to others and it can be like pouring hot coals on the head. Joseph had revealed God's heart to his brothers. Forgiveness had been extended and they, they must have left Egypt overwhelmed by the grace that had been shown to them. They must have been floating on air as they headed back to see Dad. Their trip home would have been filled with excitement and gratitude and anticipation and joy. Imagine the freedom in their hearts as they travelled back now going, Joseph's forgiven us. But how much of the gift of forgiveness had really penetrated into their being? Had the brothers really accepted the gift of grace into their own lives? Did they live differently now because they'd been forgiven? You see, forgiveness can be granted, but it needs to be accepted. We're just going to briefly jump into Genesis 50, and we're going to see what happens years later when their brother, uh, their father, Jacob, finally dies. So in Genesis 50, starting at verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, and this is so sad, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves before him, We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph wept because he saw that his brothers still hadn't accepted the forgiveness that had so freely been offered to them years before. They're still being ruled by guilt from their past sins and they're now wondering whether revenge might still come from Joseph's hand. Here they are years later and Joseph is still reassuring his brothers that they've been forgiven. Often in life, the last person that we're able to forgive is ourselves. And the brothers hadn't forgiven themselves. Like the brothers, you might be still fighting with guilt for sins that you know that God has already forgiven you for, but you're still carrying that guilt. 
If you've asked for God's forgiveness, he forgave you then and there. Chuck Swindoll wrote, Guilt clings to the side of the boat, clawing for a foothold, long after grace has come on board and begun to steer. Guilt clings on. Even though we know we've been forgiven, grace has been extended. And some of us really do struggle to believe God when God says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Some of us really struggle to believe those words. There's now no condemnation. We still condemn ourselves. We're still carrying the guilt. God doesn't condemn you any longer. And he wants to set you free from guilt, from sin and death. He wants, he wants you to live free from that burden with the peace and the joy that only he can give. And so the words of Joseph to his brothers speak to us too of what God has done to us through Jesus Christ. God has sent ahead of us to save our lives, Jesus Christ, by a great deliverance. Go back to verse 7. In chapter 45, the amazing grace of God has forgiven you of your sin, your wrongdoing, and so you're encouraged and you're challenged to extend this amazing grace to others too. To be like Jesus, to reveal God's heart and his ways, to forgive those who have hurt you. I trust that you're encouraged this morning to forgive others, but to forgive yourself and to receive God's forgiveness. Maybe there's an ongoing instance for you where you need to keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving somebody. Keep doing that. But do you need to forgive yourself? Let's take a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you again for Jesus. And we thank you for his supreme example. He expressed to Judas his forgiveness, even though he knew what Judas was about to do. He expressed his forgiveness as he was on the cross and he called upon you, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was pleading that you would be merciful toward them. And we thank you, Father, that it is indeed your desire that we be like Jesus. Help us to forgive those who have hurt us, that we might move on, that we might be set free from guilt. Help us 
not to be burdened down by guilt or the sense of seeking revenge. Help us to be like Jesus, to love everyone and particularly those who have hurt us. So we commit ourselves to that end, that you would have your way in our hearts and that you would be glorified as a result. So we thank you as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.